I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Eastern Europe. 10th century. We are going to start in Bohemia, which you all know exactly where that is and what I'm talking about, so there's no need to go any further. (laughs) I almost got that out with a straight face. Almost. I mean, so often names of places change and understandings change that it's worth a little refresher. I even double-check myself on a lot of these sometimes, and I know this stuff, so... Bohemia, modern-day Western Czech Republic, so not even the whole thing. Um, In the 10th century, this section of Europe is mostly pagan. The reason I say mostly, there are churches, there are priests, there are bishops sort of in and around the areas, but the populace, the the general countryside townsfolk, are, are pretty much pagan. Any... Any churches are small, they're typically defended, and this is the century, the 10th century, you're talking 900s, where the gospel is now having to spread up into these regions. So what you're having is, um, oh shoot, my brain just stopped, sorry, Orthodox churches coming out of Constantinople and moving into this, um, this northern and eastern portion of Europe. Now, What's interesting is even in the quasi-Christian areas, there is a sacred and secular push and pull, meaning that you still are seeing noble families with a somewhat feudal system co-opting and borrowing in and from the church, meaning local priests, local bishops, in some cases monks in the monastery, are feudal lords, or they are feudal vassals, meaning they are collecting taxes, they are paying taxes, they owe allegiance, depending on how you provide that allegiance and who you support when the next ruler gets a chance to be chosen from amongst the princes, excuse me, that can hold a lot of sway and a lot of push. So, Some of the priests during this time, especially in and around Bohemia, you're seeing they're very, very devout, very Christian. So they are demanding, air quotes, their rights as Christians. They want the feudal system to uphold them. They want the client system to benefit the church, to be a part of the spreading of the gospel and proselytization. You are conversely, though, when you see priests and bishops that are not devout, they are, in many instances, using the church and the bishopric, and they are pushing for secular power, increasing taxes for their own coffers or for their own benefits. So there's a secular sacred push and pull where the church and the state are vying for power and authority, and there's also within the church a secular and sacred push and pull where depending on who the authority is, depending on what's being elevated to priority, whether it's a sacred function or a secular function. Now, when we talk about a pagan society, I mean, you're talking all of it. You have a robust slave trade. You have polygamy. You have idolatry of every kind. There would be local chieftains, and witch doctor isn't really the right term, but you almost want to think about 
witch doctor type setup where there's a local air quotes priest who's offering sacrifice to a deity and this is for crops and health and healing and everything you could imagine now this is not just true in bohemia this is true in poland lithuania ukraine when we talk about mid to late 10th century the gospel doesn't really come into this area full forced until uh, Vladimir in of the uh, Rus people in Ukraine brings the gospel. He adopts Christianity as his religion and therefore his nation's religion in the late 10th century. And that provides an anchor for the church from which satellite churches and missionary activity can spread. But a really cool part about that is part of the reason Vladimir is doing that work is because the gospel is already penetrating these areas, there is already a Christian testimony and a witness. He has something that he actually has to consider. And we're going to talk about one of those guys. His name is Adalbert, and that's not really fair because that's not his name. That was the name he adopted upon his confirmation, his elevation into the church. It became kind of a local name, so his Czech name is Vati Wojciech. Now, you say that three times fast, and yes, I double-checked myself on that. So we're going to go with Adalbert just because it's so much simpler to say. <laughs> now, he will at some point become Bishop of Prague, but before he does that, he is a member of a noble family. So he is in line as one of the Bohemian princes until he has a severe childhood illness, around 9, 10 years old, that he barely survives. His family, in thankfulness to God, decides that his life should be dedicated to God. So they dedicate him to God. So you're almost thinking like um, Samuel in, in, um, in the book of 1 Samuel. So he goes off into education. By the way, not unusual for this time. There were, I mean, not everybody gets to succeed to be the uh, patriarch of the family. And church service in a lot of these feudal noble families was a valid means of which to provide in advance in society. So he gets an education. He joins the priesthood. He's actually a true believer. This That illness and his religious studies had an effect on him. So because of that, he ends up getting exiled from Prague for both religious and political reasons. So he's making a religious stink because he's demanding an end of the slave trade. He wants the, idols, the uh, idolatrous worship to stop. He wants the idols torn down. He wants the chieftains kicked out. He wants all of that. He wants polygamy ended. Well, they can tolerate that because he doesn't really have any power, but when his family refuses to support the war effort that they are engaging in, well, now he is politically and socially inconvenient, so they exile him. He goes to Rome. They request him to come back as a means of influencing his family to support the efforts, and he is sent back on the condition, look, look, you get opposition, come back to Rome, come back and study, do the work here. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be there and be miserable and hated. You can come back anytime you want. So he goes, he sticks around for a little while, and eventually goes on mission to Hungary. He has great success. He ends up baptizing the Grand Prince of Hungary, a man by the name of Geza, as well as his son, and decides that he needs to continue moving on into these other pagan territories. So he moves up into Prussia. And again, I know you know exactly where that is, but in case you don't... <laughs> <laughs> southeastern uh, Baltic Sea area. So you're talking modern-day Lithuania and Poland. Now, 
Adalbert has some knocks against him as far as going into this pagan culture. Because remember, pagan cultures, idolatrous cultures by necessity and nature are syncretistic and welcoming of all sorts of things. So you have your local gods, and that village over there has their local gods, and everybody's got their own little thing. Well, Adalbert has a style. He preaches, I like the description was, imperially. So he preaches authoritatively. He's proclaiming the one God. He's proclaiming the one way of salvation. Pagan cultures don't like that because it's not inclusive. They don't want to hear that you are being exclusive. The other thing that he did that they thought was very odd was he preached from a book. Now, that's not just scripture. That's um, an organization of sermon notes and being able to compose your thoughts. Well, in oral societies, which most pagan societies are oral societies, reading and proclaiming something from a book would be seen as some sort of evil or witchcraft. So this does not endear him to the local population. So in his first stop in Prussia, while preaching, one of the chieftains whacks him upside the head with a boat oar. Now Adelbert and his companions decide, you know what? That's a sign that we should go somewhere else. <laughs> So they move to the next village, enter into the marketplace, and begin preaching. The locals begin banging sticks and other large objects onto the ground in an effort to drown him out. So you imagine the thudding. So they decide this is not going well. We should leave here. They move on to the next village. Same thing happens. So they move along to the next village, get a rowdy reception. Finally, okay, let's take a break. End up stopping somewhere for lunch. Like on the little grassy hillside, like they're out of town, they've left everybody alone, nobody received the gospel, we've moved on. While sitting there eating lunch, one of the local uh, chieftains, witch doctors, whatever, stirred up the crowd and hunted them down where the uh, missionaries, including Adelbert, were promptly beaten to death. Now, as a warning to future missionaries, Adelbert's head is removed from his body and placed on a, on a pike in front of the local village. Oh boy, that ended well, didn't it? Now, fun little note, and just to show you how simple and historical worship can and should be. Um, old Adelbert's Vate Wojciech was is is credited as the oldest. Or he's he's the author of the first Czech hymn for the church that we have. It comes from the 10th century. It is a Czech translation of the Kyrie Eleison. It is, Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us. Thou Savior of the whole world, save us and listen. Lord, to our voices give us all, O Lord, plenty plenteousness and peace upon the earth. Lord, have mercy. That's simple basic worship. Now, why do we tell you this story? Because that's always the fun part, right? You mean a pagan, syncretizing, inclusive culture doesn't want to hear the exclusive gospel? Ugh, color me shocked. I would never imagine a world like that. Could you? Yeah, of course you can. You live there. Christian doesn't matter. You preach authoritatively, regardless of the outcome. You proclaim the mercies of Christ because it is the only way unto salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That was the message then. It's the message now in Christian. The comfort then now is the same as the comfort then. That no matter what befalls us in this world, no matter how much they hate us, there's a God in heaven who has redeemed us and who loves us and will strengthen us to proclaim his mercies and bring us to a good end in his eternal kingdom. 
Amen. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.